So this summer, we've been looking at 1 Corinthians 12, and let me read to you our text from this morning. Now, eagerly desire the greater gifts. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. But the greatest of these things is love. And so today we come to the part of the love passage where Paul writes, love is not easily angered or love is slow to anger. And you say that's an odd text to teach on for your pastor's last Sunday. Um, But I didn't plan it that way. And I'll assure you that it has nothing to do with pastors being slow to anger with their congregations or congregations being slow to anger with their pastors, although both those things are important. But Paul, when you look at this text, Paul says that love is slow to anger. Paul doesn't say love is never angry. Paul doesn't say love shows no anger towards others. Paul seems to acknowledge that we will all get angry. He just says, just do it slowly. And so I've been trying to practice that lately, that when Elena and Ashlyn do something on a Sunday that I don't like, I stay very calm Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Thursday, Friday, I get them. And their heads spin. And I said, good, I'm following God because I was slow to anger. I did it Friday instead of Sunday. And Paul seems to acknowledge that we will all get angry. And here's why. Is a part of the way we were wired by God was to be angry, but angry at the right things. That God made anger possible inside us to make us angry over the things that break the heart of God. We call this a righteous anger. Righteous anger is when we are angry about the things like the exploitation of the poor or the powerless. Righteous anger is when we are angry about the way that opioids and substances are affecting our culture and channeling that righteous anger into setting up help. Righteous anger is when we are angry about injustices towards people of other races or minority groups. We can have a righteous anger when we, about things like deception and neglect and gossip and stealing, that God designed us for righteous anger to be angry with things that break the heart of God. But here's the thing, is that righteous anger can only be dealt with in righteous ways. Their righteous anger over an injustice cannot be solved with unrighteous or wrong actions. And I think that's why Paul says, be slow to anger. Be slow to anger, to give yourself time to reflect and make sure that this is something that we should be angry about. Because as much as we want to talk about righteous anger, most of us experience things that 
anger towards things that are not righteous. Most of the anger that gets expressed in our families or workplace or in the public sphere has far more to do with our sense of pride and selfishness and anxiety and unmet expectations and fear. And so Paul says, be slow to anger so that you are anger about the right things. And here's why it's a good sermon for a last Sunday. Because anger hits us all. Is that none of us in this room have not experienced it. We've probably experienced it this week. That maybe it was the way you saw someone speak to someone else or the way you spoke or were spoken to. Maybe it was just while driving. Maybe it was something you saw on social media. And I think it's fair to say that we have a lot of anger around us in our culture. Anger in adults, it hurts our health. It's linked to hypertension and heart disease. Anger costs us interpersonally. It leads to the breakdown of relationships and problems in the workplace and leads to isolation. Anger brings about defensiveness and keeps us from enjoying life. It affects our marriages and our parent-child relationships and our relationships with those that we love And that's why it's a good last sermon, because it's a reminder that we are all in need of God's grace and God's healing. That anger, being slow to anger, anger is something that hits us all in some way. And in some way, we need God's help from and God's healing from. And the good news is that God's love is here for angry people. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13, love is slow to anger. He'll eventually say in Ephesians 4.26, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. At best, we are still going to get angry. We expect anger to hit us at some point. But at worst, anger leads to a multitude of other sins and problems if it's allowed to simmer and explode. And so Paul says, Be slow to anger. Reflect to make sure that what you're angry about is what you should be angry about. And then to act righteously to bring about a solution. And then don't let a day go by where you go to bed angry. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Don't let the sun go down on your resentments where you wake up with the same ones the next morning or your bitterness and you wake up with the same the next morning, your hostility where you wake up with the same the next morning or your grudges or your strife where you wake up with the same the next morning. Love is slow to anger. The church became the first community to talk about anger in this way and love in this way. The first community to live in a loving way towards one another was that first century church where instead of letting anger kind of run wild, they lived in this brand new way. One of my favorite preachers to listen to now is a man by the name of Brian Zahn. And he, a couple of weeks ago, he told this debate that happened in the second or third century in the life of the church that there was a critic of the church, a man by the name of Celsus. And Celsus was highly critical of the church and he wrote against the church And Celsus would say that the church and its love and the love expressed in the church was not real love. It wasn't the bond that it was cracked up to be in the early church. It was idealistic and it did not work. 
In Celsus's mind, love in the early church was made up and was used as a way to manipulate. And there's a follower of Jesus by the name of Origen, a great writer and defender of the early church. And he responds back to Celsus and his writing, and they go back and forth with their writings. And Origen says to Celsus, Celsus, just come and see what love we have in the church. Come and see what love we have for one another. Come and see the love that is expressed. Come and see, and you will find that it is not idealistic. It is not imagined. It is not manipulative. It is not there for the good of just the individual. It is not a sign of weakness. Come and walk into any church that you find in Asia Minor or in Jerusalem. Come and see, and you will find the transforming love of the power of God alive and well in the church. Just walk into a church. And that's the church's gift to the world. The church's gift to the world is that we experience the love of God. And we can now share that love with those around us. We can be patient and we can be kind. And we do not need to envy or boast or be proud. We will not be rude or self-seeking. We will not be easily angered because we are filled with the love of God. And your gift and your mission to Berlin, to Cromwell, to all of Connecticut, is to love as Jesus loved. This is the mission to share the love and the death and the resurrection. And the mission continues even in the midst of this. One of the things I read when coming here, a pastor said, be careful of a church that's just waiting for the next pastor to show up. Be careful for a church that's just waiting to do things until the next pastor comes. And that the church needs to be this loving community even in the midst of these transitions. It was the Apostle Peter in his first letter that said a shift had happened in the world. That before the Holy Spirit showed up, before Jesus showed up, there were some people that were designated priests, the Levites. We learned about that in the book of Numbers. In the first few chapters, they set aside the Levites, and they would be the ones to lead the spiritual life of the people Israel. And Peter says, but there's a new day here. The Levites are not the priests anymore. And this is what Peter says to his congregation in Asia Minor. He says to this early church, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood. Everybody in the congregation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into the eternal life. What Peter is telling the church is this, is that you are the pastors and the priests to one another. Yes, you're going to call and bring somebody else to be a pastor, But that pastor is not here for a standard that is above all of us. That pastor will come to shepherd and lead and guide. But according to Peter, we are all priests, all pastors serving one another. Martin Luther realized this when he commented on this idea from Peter. And he says that the bishop or that the pope or bishop anoints, ordains, consecrates, or dresses differently from the laity. The fact that the pope may put on something fancy or wear a fancy robe or do these kind of priestly acts, really what that does is it really just sets that person up to be a, a bit hypocritical, but it in no way, he says, makes a Christian or a spiritual human being. He says, in fact, we are all consecrated priests through baptism. We are all pastors and priests. 
to one another, sharing Christ, listening to other stories, encouraging and leading each other in the ways of Christ. The two boys that were baptized last week, Daniel and Luke, they are now priests to each other because of their baptism in Jesus Christ. If because you are believers in Christ and part of the church of Jesus Christ, you are called to be pastors and priests to one another, sure, go ahead and hire someone to come in and be your next pastor to do the things that pastors are trained to do You need to bring in a pastor. They are important to the life of the church. But of first importance is how you love and are pastors for one another. I want to read you a portion of the installation of a pastor. This will be done in the upcoming months or years when someone new comes to this platform. And Howard will come and he'll read this. He'll say, Dear friends in Christ... Peter says that we are the priesthood of believers. I charge you to receive the word of God from each other in all meekness and love, to receive the word of God from one another in meekness and love. Support each other in all that you see others do in service to God. Remember always that each of you are God's servants and that you as God's stewards as well are to supply needs to each other in a way that is pleasing to God and an honor in God's church. In all things, show your love, esteem, and accept each other. At that charge is for all of you, for all of us, as we follow God and our pastors and priests to one another.